Today is Baptism Sunday. And a few, few weeks ago, I'm not sure, it may have been two months ago, but when we had uh, Pentecost Sunday, we talked about the term baptism in a different light. But the word baptize means to submerge or to immerse. And so when we water baptize, we baptize by what's called immersion. It, it, you don't have to be a member here. You don't have to attend here. You don't even have to go to baptism class. So I grew up in a church, or actually I've attended several churches that have baptism class, but I never really found that in the Bible. You know, when Philip uh, met the Ethiopian eunuch, the guy says, uh, there's water. What keeps me from being baptized? Philip said, nothing. Believe in the Lord and be baptized. So baptism is really, water baptism is your next step in your walk, in your life, in your faith uh, with the Lord. And it's just the next step. Baptism, water baptism, does not save you. I want to be clear on that because sometimes people equate baptism with salvation. Baptism does not save you. If you are not saved and you get baptized today, you're going to come out of the water unsaved. You're going to go down a center and come up a center. Salvation is only through faith in Jesus. It's only through faith, you putting your trust in what Jesus did for you, that you are or were a sinner, that you deserve death, and that Jesus came, he died, he shed his blood, he paid the way, and you receive that, and your sins are forgiven and, and wiped completely clean. So baptism, it, it's, it's really, it's, it's a lot of things, but water baptism is really a symbol. I like to think of it like that. And I really like to think of it like, and, and I like that Crystal said, commitment. Because baptism is really kind of like a wedding ring. How many people are married? How many people have been married? <laughs> Nobody married to two different people, right? Everybody agree that's not, that's not good? We're going to talk about that today. But a, a wedding ring... If I'm not married, and thankfully I'm married to an awesome wife of almost 29 years, but if I was not married and I put this ring on my finger, would that make me married? No. It has nothing to do with me being married. There was a ceremony where I said I do, and Kristen said she does, and the pastor said I now pronounce you husband and wife. And that ceremony, when we made our vows to each other was the day I got, not the day I got saved. <laughs> that was the day I lost my salvation, probably. Yeah, I was a mess. But putting a ring on your finger if you're not married does not make you married. What if I was married, but I chose not to wear a ring? I'm still married, right? But because I'm in love with my wife and because I want to honor the commitment I've made to her, I wear the ring. And I want to tell everybody, I have committed my life to you and I'm going to be faithful to you and I love you and you only. And really the word God gave me yesterday, he said there's a number of people who have married me but they're like the guy that goes to the club on Friday night and takes his ring off. And then you come to church on Sunday morning and you put the ring back on. 
So I want you to know this, that no matter what, if you've accepted Jesus, he loves you unconditionally. And the promise is he'll never leave you, he'll never forsake you. But there's a commitment on our part where we say, yes, I love you so much, I want to wear this ring. And I want to symbolize, and I want to identify with what you did for me. See, the baptism is also, it's, a, it's an identification. So a lot of us think of identification. How many have ever been pulled over? I don't, oh, guess what? I don't have any identification. I gave it to my wife. But so what's the, what's the policeman say? Hey, do you have any identification? Can you prove who you are? That, that definition of identification came about in the 1950s. Something, an object that proves who you are. When the word first came about in the 1640s, identification meant to treat something the same as something else. And that when I get baptized and I identify with Christ, it's saying what is true of Christ is true of me. And we're going to read, uh, we're going to read Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 16 today. And it's a difficult passage. It's difficult because, because it gets misinterpreted often. Uh, I've heard this, this passage misinterpreted taught so many times it, it, it uh, it's probably one of the reasons I like it because it's somewhat controversial but hopefully I want to show you some things today and hopefully open your eyes to who you are in Christ that you can identify and, and say that's true of Christ also true of me but before we get started I, I need to tell you that in the New Testament there's not just water baptism all right there's three baptisms that, that apply to the New Testament believer and so I just want to give them to you quickly. I'm not going to teach on them, but you need to recognize what they are so you can accurately understand Romans 6. All right, so the first one is in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 and 13. It says, as the body is one, and what body is this speaking of? It's at the very end of verse 12. As the body is one and has many members, right? We're all part of the body of Christ. It's how many bodies? One body with many members or parts. So it says, as the body is one, has many members, but all the members of the, that are one body, being many, are one body, so also is Christ. So it's saying that the one body is the body of Christ. It says, for by one spirit, we are all baptized into one body. And who is the body? Christ. He just told you that in verse 12. So it says that the Holy Spirit baptizes or immerses me into the body of Jesus. That happens the day that you get saved. That's the term that we talk about being in Christ or in him. So that's a work of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit's job is to place me into the body of Christ. The minute that I say yes to Jesus, so many things happen in that instant. The very first thing is he puts me, that's probably not the first thing, it's, it, I don't know, let's strike that one. But he places me, I, I don't know, I'm just, I shouldn't have said that. He places me into the body, he baptizes me. So who does it? The Holy Spirit. He baptizes me in where? The body of Jesus. So the Holy Spirit baptizes you into Christ. 
The other baptism is water baptism, which we see in Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20. It's what we're going to do today. Jesus is giving some last instructions to his disciples. And he says this, he says, Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them all the same things I've commanded you. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So Jesus says this, I want you to make disciples, and part of making disciples is to baptize them in the name of Jesus, or in the name of Jesus, uh, the Holy Spirit, and the Father. So the second one is water baptism. Water baptism takes place after salvation or after conversion, and it's done by another disciple. It's what's called disciple-making. So it doesn't have to be a pastor. It doesn't have to be an elder. It's a disciple. Somebody that follows Jesus can baptize somebody else. The third one is what we talked about a few weeks ago, baptism in the Spirit or with the Spirit, and that's done by Jesus. So the Holy Spirit places you into the body of Christ, but Jesus baptizes you in or with the Holy Spirit. So John the Baptist says this in Mark chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. He said, there's one, I think it's a capital O, right? Oh, we're not there. How about the next slide? Oh, there comes one. Is that a capital O? So, okay, so John the Baptist talking about Jesus. Remember, he was the forerunner of Jesus. He said, there comes one after me who is mightier than me, whose shoes I'm not worthy to stoop down and loose, John the Baptist says this, I indeed baptized you with water, but, but he, speaking of Jesus, will baptize you in or with, it's the same word, the Holy Spirit. All right, so you got them? Everybody got those, right? Because there's a test. Who's ready for a test this morning? So the Holy Spirit baptizes me into Christ. A disciple baptizes me in water. And Jesus baptizes me in the Holy Spirit. The last two happen after salvation. They could be before or after. It really doesn't matter if you're baptized in the Holy Spirit or baptized in water first. It could be either way. Sometimes they happen all three at the same time, like bam, bam, bam. That could happen too. That could happen today. All right. You guys ready for the test? All right. It's coming, like verse 3. Just All right. So let's go. That's the back. How many baptisms? How many fingers I got up? Three. Into Christ, in water, in the Holy Spirit. All right? So, here's number one. Three, oh, yeah. So, oh, you guys want the points for the day? I got to give you some points. We got to do this fast. Who's ready? For, get, get your pens. Your old man is what? He's not going to be crucified. He's not being crucified. He is crucified. So number one, your old man's crucified. Number two, your new life is a certainty. Not an if, not a maybe, it's certain. And number three is you have a choice. I'm actually going to say this, your body, your choice. You got to, now you got, you got to give me grace till I get there. Okay, give me grace till I get there. I'm not advocating what you think I'm advocating. That'll keep your attention to the end. All right, let's look at this. Romans chapter 6. So I got the New American Standard today, so I'm going to have to read it because I'm not so familiar with it. But what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? If you're preaching the gospel of grace the way the Apostle Paul did, this question should come up. 
you should be preaching. If, if you're actually giving grace, it's due teaching and, and the way God intends it, this question should come up. Okay, if grace is so great and grace takes care of my sin, why don't I just keep sinning? The Apostle Paul had a greater revelation of grace than anybody in history. He taught grace the way Jesus taught him, and this question came up all the time. He literally just ended chapter 5 in verse 20 with this. He says, he says, where sin abounds, grace abounds more. So, the, okay, so if grace abounds more than sin, if I want more grace, what should I do? Sin more. No, 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 no. But that's what you would almost think. So he starts out, he says, what should we say? Are we to continue in sin that grace may increase? Far from it, absolutely not. Uh, he he might I've heard that this is just as close in Greek as you could come to swearing without swearing. So you could fill in whatever. But let's just say absolutely not. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know? Oh, so these three things that I gave you today, three things you need to know. Okay, so you're going to see no, don't you know, you should know this. These are the three things you need to know about your salvation. And the reason I want to talk to you about salvation today, because what happens here today is a picture of what happened on the day you accepted Jesus. And you're going to see it. He says, or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death? All right, what are the three baptisms? Baptized into Christ baptized in water, baptized in the Holy Spirit. Which baptism is Paul talking about? Baptized into Christ. This is not talking about water baptism. So many people will teach this passage and say, when you get water baptized, your sins are gone, or that your old man dies in the water. I'm going to show you clearly from this passage why that cannot be true. What happens first is you are baptized into Christ. Remember, baptized means to be immersed or submerged. It's identifying with Christ, and what's true of Christ is true of me, right? So when I'm baptized into Christ, what's true of him is true of me. And if Christ died, I died. Actually, my old man died. It, said, it says, whoever's been baptized into Christ has been baptized into his death. Next slide. Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead from the, uh, for the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. Here's what's interesting. The crucifixion, their old man being crucified, is a fact. It happened. The fact that you walk in newness of life, the verb tense is potential. It's not a guaranteed. You have a role to play. Your old man's dead, but whether you walk in newness of life are going to, is going to be whether you appropriate what Jesus has done for you or not. Whether you understand that the old man's actually dead, or do you think you're dragging him along everywhere you go? So you have to know some things in order to be able to experience life to the way that Jesus intended it for you. His intention is that you walk, that you live in newness of life, which means different from the old way, right? So if your life today after being saved looks the same as before you got saved, one of two things. You didn't get saved, or you're saved, but you don't understand what took place. 
You're identifying with the wrong man. He says, for if we become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly, and we're going to come back to this verse in a minute, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Okay, here it is. Knowing this, what's Paul wants you to know? That our old self will be, was, crucified, when? With him. What's true of Christ, true of me. I've been placed in him, and when I'm baptized in him, I'm baptized in his death. And when he died, I died. It says the old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. So here's what it looks like. I didn't tell her I was going to do this. So I'm going to be the old man, okay? I don't really get called the old man, but I'm going to be the old man today. So when Kristen was born into this world, she was born separated from God. Romans chapter 5 says this. It says, by one man, sin entered the world and death by sin. And because of that, death or separation passed on everybody. So you were born infected with sin, not because of anything you did, not because how bad you were, but because Adam, 6,000 years ago, sinned. And when he sinned, death entered, and that passed on to everybody that was born. So here's Kristen. When she's born, she's born with the old man, right? And everywhere she goes, she's got the old man influencing her life. Actually, she is a slave to me because I am so horrible. I'm making her do everything she doesn't want to do. She, she has no way to fight me. I'm just that bad. Yeah, you're, are you agreeing? <laughs> Wait, are we talking spiritually or in the... Spiritual. Oh, spiritually, okay. All right, I, I hope this isn't in the natural. No. All right. So, the moment that she says yes to Jesus, what happens to me? All right. Now, now she's single now, right? She's, she's actually pretty eligible, if you ask me. Here's what happens. We read this thing in 1 Corinthians 15, 31, when Paul says, I die daily. You do not crucify the old man daily. When Paul was talking about dying daily, he was talking about living his life on the edge so much for Jesus that every day he was in peril of actually physically dying. That's the life he lived. What happens, okay, you're done. What happens is when we try to kill the old self that's already dead, in order to kill the person that's dead, what do I have to do first? When, we're, when we continue killing the old man, we actually give resurrection life to that which was killed. And you spend your whole life trying to do that. The first thing you need to know is he's dead. He's dead. But too much time, we're over here. Oh, we think I'll dig this guy up and bring him back with me. If you had a horrible husband, wouldn't it be a blessing that he died? Like, that would probably be a good thing. Let's look at this verse 
it's a familiar one. I want you to look at this verse with fresh eyes. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Look at it like you never looked at it before, like you've never seen this verse before. Therefore, if any man be where? How do I get in Christ? The Holy Spirit baptizes me into Christ. So if I've said yes to Jesus, am I in Christ or out of Christ? I'm in Christ. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Behold, all things are what? Passed away. Behold, everything has become new. See, God doesn't take the old you and fix it up. It's not like an episode of Rehab Addict. You know, he's not like, you know what, I think I could work with this old person here. Maybe he just needs a little makeup, you know, maybe, maybe we just need a little facelift and get rid of the wrinkles and, you know, a little saggy back here, you know, firm this up a little. No, he does this. He kills it. That guy's dead. Now, why is it important to know that he's dead? Think about this. Under the Old Covenant, could women ever divorce a man? Men could divorce women. Matter of fact, God's intention was never to be divorced. But he said, because you guys couldn't keep the law, I'm going to give you a little bit of out. But it was always the man that could divorce the woman. The woman could never divorce the man. We're the bride of Christ. If I have, if Kristen had a horrible husband, the old man, what's her only hope of ever getting rid of him? Yeah, yeah. If he don't die, guess who she's stuck with all her life? That horrible old man. You know that old man, even though he's dead, he's probably, probably left some imprints in her head and her body a little bit. Those are the things you need to renew your mind to get out of your mind and your, in yourself. But he's dead. The only way she could get rid of him is for him to die. Now, I'm gonna, this is going to strike you funny, maybe. What, oh, let's go to this. Your new life is a certainty. My goodness, I've got to hurry up. All right. All right, so he's dead. All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. So now I get to start a new life. And is it new one day and old the next? It's always new. Matter of fact, when it says you're a new creation, you're a creation that's never existed before. It, it's, it's something completely new. God got rid of the old, and he makes you completely new. And it says this. It says, I want to go back to verse 5. If we have become, what do you think of when we think about united? Like a marriage, right? That word actually means to be planted together. It means if we've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we also shall be planted together or united in the likeness of his resurrection. This is really important. When I'm in Christ, what's true of Christ is true of me. And when I'm placed in Christ, Jesus died on the cross, went to hell, he became sin, it says in 2 Corinthians 5, 17, he became sin for me so that I could become righteous. When he died, I died, right? And it said, if I was united in the likeness of his death, 
I'll also be united in the likeness of his resurrection. So that the way that he is from resurrection day to eternity is how I am. That's why, G, that's why John can say in 1 John chapter 4, verse 17, as he is, so are we in this world. That the way he is right now, that's how I am in front of the Father. The same way. Because what's true of him is true of me. He says, knowing this, our old self was crucified in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer slave slaves to sin. Verse 7, for the one who has died is free from sin. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. So, once we die and we, we become in relationship with him, his life is my life. What's true of his life is true of mine. What's true of his resurrection is true of my resurrection. It says, knowing, here's another knowing, knowing this, that Christ, having been raised from the dead, what? Never dies. Maybe he'll die one day. How do you know? God's word said so. He died how many times? And how long is he going to live for? You got to come back up here. All right, so I, 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 I'm tired of being the old man. You're just, I'm just, I'm, now I'm Jesus. <laughs> All right, so the old man is dead. Now she's married to a new man. What's her only hope of getting out of this relationship? It's for me to die. <laughs> Guess what? I can't die. Yeah. Isn't that good? He can't die. So no matter what she does, if she cheats on me, I'm still here. If she runs around, I'm still here because I, Jesus, made a covenant with her that no matter whether she keeps her side of it or not, I'm keeping mine. And I live forever. It says we have a priest forever that's seated at the right hand of the Father forever making intercession for us. So here's the thing. As sure as death was, life is more sure. He says, certainly, if I shared in his death, I will certainly share in the likeness of his life. And now Jesus says, I'm stuck. You're stuck with me. You can't divorce me. Here's the thing. You know why the old man has to die? Because Jesus isn't into polygamy. Uh, I mean, that's like not like a big, big revelation or anything, but he's, he doesn't agree with being two people being married to one person. That guy has to die in order for her to be eligible. The other thing he's not into is divorce. He says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Look at this. Let's, let's keep reading. He died. How many times did he die to sin? Once. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. So you two consider yourselves dead to sin, but what? Alive to God. So you need to see yourself not as a sinner, but as the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You've got to identify with who Jesus is today, not the you that you used to be. 
Every time I say this, well, I'm just an old sinner saved by grace. Who am I identifying with? A guide's dead. I was a sinner. I'm a new creation. I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. As he is, so am I in this world. Listen to this. We're just going to read this quick. Romans 7, verses 2 through 4. This is the next chapter. I'm just going to speed ahead. It says, The woman who has a husband is bound by the law to her husband as long as he lives, but if the husband dies, she's released from the law of her husband. The only way she can get out is how? He's got to die. And when he dies, it's the best day ever because he was an idiot. He was mean. He beat her. He demeaned her. He slapped her around. He cheated on her. He was awful. But she had to stay with him because he was living. But the day he died was the best day in her life. Now, what woman would ever want to go back to that guy? So then if while her husband lives, she marries another, she'll be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she's free from that law. So she's no adulteress, though she has married another man. Therefore, my brethren, you have become dead to the law through the body of Jesus that you may be married to another, to him who was raised from the dead, to die no more. When you get married to Jesus, it's for eternity. Because he can't die. He can't die. See, but we, 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 don't, we don't get our heads wrapped around this. And when you think about that, well, that, that's where when you teach on grace, people's like, well, if he's never leaving me, why don't I go sin? Paul gives two reasons to not sin in this. First, he says, you're dead to it. Why would somebody who's dead to sin live any longer therein? You're dead to sin. Why would you live there? You're living in a graveyard. The second reason he gives is because it gives an inroad to the devil. Why not live in sin? Because you're dead to it. Why not live in sin? He goes on to say because it just opens the door for an enemy, the enemy, to do what he does. Steal, kill, and destroy. Galatians 2.20 says this, one of my favorite verses. I, I've been what? I will be crucified. I am crucifying. No. I have been Let's just say this. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I want you to memorize that verse this week. I've been crucified. And now I'm presenting myself to God as alive. I'm living in Christ. The last thing is this. You have a choice. You have a choice. I actually wanted, I wanted to make this the point, and I thought I'd get too much flack. Your body, your choice. Especially with all the, uh, the abortion stuff, you know. I, I, I thought it wouldn't be a good idea, but I'm going to say it anyway. Here, basically, Paul says the same thing. You know the one thing God will never take away from you? is your freedom to choose. 
He'll protect that all the way to the day you go to hell if you don't choose him. He made a way. He paved a way. He made a way for you to live righteously. He made a way for you to go to heaven. He made a way for you to be, be, be holy. But you don't have to choose it. You don't have to choose salvation. And once you chose salvation, you don't have to choose to live right or not. But you should. It's kind of like Moses said, I lay before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Oh, by the way, choose life. Like, if, you, if you're not smart enough to figure it out, let me give you the answer. There's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof is destruction. Wide is the gate and broad is the way. Like, sometimes it's not obvious. You're like, you need to wise up a little bit. Here's what he says. He said, therefore, so, old man's dead, new man has married me, and I'm married to him. And guess what? Now it's up to me what I'm going to do with my body. Because this all took place where? In the spirit. I'm a new creation in the spirit. I'm the righteousness of God in the spirit. The rest of your walk with the Lord becomes renewing your mind and presenting your body. That's really the rest of your Christian walk becomes that every day. Do you have to die to your, the things that you want to do? Yes. Every day. Even Jesus had to say, not my will. If it's possible for this thing to pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours. So you've got to die to your will. You've got to die to the stuff you want to do. But I don't have to die to that anymore. Because he's gone. And now I've got a helper, I've got a partner living with me, as Crystal said, the spirit of truth, who no longer, he doesn't speak on his own accord. Do you know the Holy Spirit's favorite subject? Jesus. That's literally all he talks about. He says, he will not speak of himself, for he who speaks of himself brings glory to himself. The Holy Spirit actually speaks of Jesus to glorify Jesus. And he'll just keep reminding you of who you are in Christ. You are righteous. You're mine. You're a child of God. I've forgiven you of that. Get over it. I don't even know what you're talking about anymore. Because therefore sin is not to reign in your mortal bodies that you obey its lust. Do not go on presenting your parts of body to sin as instruments of righteousness, but present yourself to God as those who... We'll go back there as those who are alive from the dead, and your body's parts as instruments of righteousness to God. Here's what he said. He literally said, you know, Paul came up with this, your body, your choice. He said, you choose. I've enabled you to live righteously. I've, I've made you new. I've made you righteous. I've reside in you. My Holy Spirit's in you. You're mine. I will guide you. I'll lead you. I'll instruct you in all righteousness. And I'll tell you how to do it. But now you choose whether you're going to yield your members to sin or whether you're going to yield the members of your body to live righteously. You have a choice. says, for sin shall not master over you, for you're not under the law, but under grace. What is it then? Are we, under, are we to sin because we're not under the law, but under grace? Far from it. And really, that's where Paul just kind of sums it up in Romans 12. I said it earlier, I think. 
But he says this, he says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your body a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is reasonable. It's just reasonable. <laughs> it's, he's not asking for anything unreasonable. He says, this is your reasonable act of worship. It's your reasonable service. He goes on to say, be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and perfect and acceptable will of God. See, God's will only comes to pass to the, to the point that you renew your mind to what he has for you to do. So if you don't know this stuff, you're going to keep living the way you're living. You're going to be saved living like a sinner. I want to be a righteous man living righteously. I mean, that's, at the end of the day, that's, that's what we should be doing. Old man is crucified. That man dies the day you get saved. Are you guys getting this? All right, I want to do this. I want to go ahead and ask those that are getting baptized today. I want you to make your way up here. go ahead and sit in the front row or sit in these chairs here. We're going to call you up. But before we do that, you didn't have to sign up for baptism today to get baptized. Let me tell you that. I've had people get saved on the spot and walk up and get baptized the same day. We, we saw people, and thanks again to our ministry team that went out yesterday and, and saw God's power and grace transform people's lives and, and, and baptize them, help them take their next step and walk with the Lord. Remember I told you this is like a marriage? What happens when you break your vows? Sometimes people have a ceremony where they Renew their vows, right? You just kind of want to make a recommitment to the Lord. And I do feel like there's a number of people that are going out with that ring off your finger. Like you're married, but you're certainly not living like you're married. See, there's only two reasons you don't have a ring on your finger today. Either you've never accepted Jesus or you've accepted him and you just live in your own way. So the first thing I want to do is, if you're here today and you've never said yes to Jesus, I want to give you that opportunity. I'm not going to force you to get in the tub, but if you want to get in the tub, you can. But if you're here today, I just I, I want you to I want you to stand up. If you're here today and you have never said yes to Jesus, I want you to stand up. If you've never said yes to Jesus, you want to make that commitment today. Anybody. We're family here. We're not going to embarrass you, but we want to celebrate your new life. Anybody that wants to say yes? Curtis. How about this? 
Maybe you're here today and you've said yes to Jesus, but you know, your life, you've been presenting your members the wrong way. I've been living a life that doesn't represent the one that I love. And I just want to recommit my life today. Is that, is that you? Just slip up your hand. I see a couple hands, a couple hands. All right. Let me just pray for you right now. Father God, I just thank you for these hands that are lifted, those that say, Lord, I've accepted you, but I've certainly not been living like it. And I just want to rededicate, I just want to recommit my life to you, that I love you, and today I want to make a public declaration of my love for you and follow you in, in baptism. And I want to start living a life that, that acknowledges who I am in Christ, that the old man's dead and the new you, the new me, lives on the inside. In Jesus' name.